God's got you. Long before you were born, long before I was born, long before any of us did anything to mess up our lives, he had us. He knew exactly how far we'd fall. He knew exactly when we'd fall. And at the right time, he grabbed you. God's revolutionary plan to deal with evil is not bigger bombs, better armies, more money. God deals with evil in one way and one way only, and that is grace. That's what we're going to see this morning. And his grace has been here amongst us and will continue. If you remember that you are a sinner saved by grace and nothing else. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for what you've done here. Thank you for what you will do. And so this morning we pray that you would edit me and the words I have that your people may be encouraged and strengthen and grow. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I can remember when I got a call from Shirley about coming here. And I was happily retired. And so I did everything I could to convince her that she didn't really want to hire me. I gave her the worst case scenario and made it even sound worse than that. And I figured I'd never hear from them again. And then they called and said, yes, we'd like you to come. And then I came, and Gail and I remember our first Sunday here. It was terrible. You could cut the tension with a knife in this place. There was serious stuff going on here. People were hurting, and people were doing things that were simply not acceptable. And I thought, boy, what have I got myself into? Remember that, Gil? And what had happened is, in November, December, the leadership of this church had come to the end of their rope. They didn't know what to do. Everything had come to a head. And so they ran for dear life to God, straight into his arms. And that happens to us when we no longer can figure out what to do, when we can't fix it, when we've tried everything we can in our lives and in the community of faith's life, when we've done all of our talking, we've done all of our trying to heal things, and nothing works, what do we do? We run to God. We do that individually, and we do that corporately. And that's a good thing. But once you get into the arms of God, there is something that happens that you need to be aware of. Satan does not want you there. I got to tell you, you're in the most dangerous phase in the recovery of this church right now. Because right now, 
Satan is trying to tell you that you cannot take any more risks. You can't do anything else. Like, you need to say back, you need to play it safe. You need to be very careful. You need to minimize tension because remember, you don't like tension. Anybody here like tension beside me? I create tension. <laughs> I often think that one of my jobs, if I hadn't been a minister, would be go in and fire people because I kind of like that job. <laughs> I'm mean. But most of us don't like that. Most of us don't want to do those sort of things. And so Satan will tell you, no, play it safe. What have I said to you? There is absolutely no blessing in saying no. There is always a blessing when you say yes to God, no matter how hard that might be. As a young man in the 60s, and those of us who are my age remember the 60s, the flower children and the bras that were banned and the mini skirts and free love and the pill was out. I mean, I was a teenager, folks, and male. And I can remember having to make a decision. Would I become sexually active or would I wait? And I got to tell you, it was a tough decision. And I said yes to God and no to my own feelings. And God has blessed me over the years for that. Saying yes to God isn't necessarily easy. Saying yes to the direction that God is sending you in can be absolutely terrifying. But he catches you every time. The Bible is very clear. God's strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. The weaker we are, the stronger he is. The weaker we are, the more people see him and his glory and his grace. That's what you want to do in the next months. When everybody says, don't take the path of least resistance, be sure that if you choose that path, it will lead right into the situation you had before I got here. You'll be back there in a flash of an, of an eye. You don't want to go there. So take the path that is least traveled, the one that is difficult, because God will be there on that path. He is not on the path of least resistance. He is going a different way. The crowd goes this way and God goes this way. And he does something special every single time. Run to the mountains. Run away from the hard things. Run away from those who would cause tension. Run away from those who would suggest that you're wrong. Don't face any of it, and you'll lose his blessing. And it will happen immediately. Find your refuge in God and God alone. 
There is no better place. None. So why is God our refuge? God's our refuge because he hasn't moved. He hasn't moved to the mountains. He hasn't changed his address. And yet, we change our position. We ran right into the arms of God. And when we got scared again, when fear entered the equation, when we were afraid to take the next step, what did we do? We ran right away from God. And we're no longer in his arms. God hadn't moved. The position of his arms have not moved. They are still wide open and ready to receive you. They want you to come back. It's us who move. It's us who are afraid. He's in charge as always, his eyes taking everything in, his eyelids unblinking, examining Adam's unruly brood, inside and out, not missing a thing. You're going to make mistakes. It's okay. Because there is grace. The problem is not making the mistake. The problem is denying that you made a mistake. The problem is not confessing the sin. The problem is not recognizing that you're running from God. So the real issue here is, will you become the confessing church? Will you become a church that has come together as sinners saved by grace, ready to forgive quickly because God forgives us quickly and to try again. The greatest disease in the church today is we tried it once. It didn't work. I mean, I don't know how many times people tell me that. We tried that. It didn't work. Well, I don't know why it didn't work. Let's try it again. Oh, no, we couldn't do that. Why can't you? Things change. Don't be afraid. Fear will cripple you. And fear is not what we inherit when we sing about the Spirit of God. Great job this morning with this music. Talking about the Spirit coming in. It's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of joy. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of adventure. It's a spirit of abundance. And yet the church is running around afraid. Afraid they can't pay their bills. Afraid they can't, uh, they can't keep their buildings. Afraid that somehow they're going to lose somebody in the church because they get angry. And you know something? In all my years of ministry, every time I've lost somebody because they got angry because the church was doing the right thing, God replaced them tenfold. My first Sunday at James Street Baptist Church, we had a billionaire in the congregation. And I offended him. And as he walked out the door, he said to me, I will never come back to here, this church. And I went, oh, we're in $2.4 million in debt. And I just ticked off the richest guy in the building. <laughs> you know what God did? 
offerings went up. God needed that person to leave. He used me to offend him, which I do quite easily, by the way. <laughs> it's one of my enduring skills and strengths. And then God increased the blessing. He hasn't changed. He's not afraid. He's not moving. He'll go down the path with you. He is not going to quit. I love this next part. He tests the good and the bad alike. If anyone cheats, God's outraged. Fail the test and you're out. Didn't I tell you that you're saved by grace? Isn't grace God's unmerited favor? Is there a problem in the translation? No. What's he saying? He tests us. What's the test, folks? This is very important. The test is whether or not you will trust his grace. You will make financial decisions that are stupid. You will make decisions in your life with your children that are not bright. You will make decisions in your marriage where you hurt each other and all kinds of things will happen. You will get into financial difficulties because you try some lame-brained idea and you wished you hadn't. You may even get in trouble with the law. None of those things are a problem to God. It's a problem when you don't come back and trust His grace. That's the one thing that means you're out. God cannot impose His grace upon us. We must choose His grace and allow it to flood our lives. He doesn't take away your free will, folks. This may be the same thing in the New Testament where it talks about the unforgivable sin. I don't know whether I'm smart enough to figure that out, but I do know this, that if you don't accept God's grace, He expects and He respects your decision to go to hell. You choose that, not God. God has a test for you. The test is, will you trust Him? Will you accept His grace? Or will you try to work it out on your own? That's the danger. The danger is to say, okay, you know, all the pressure's off. You know, this is a much different place than when I came here in January. I mean, worship-wise, is amazing. Just the way you treated the children this morning was different. Just the way you're acting with one another is different. There is no tension. I remember when I first came and communion came up and somebody said to me, what do you want done for communion? I said, there's no communion here. This church is so at loggerheads with each other that I canceled communion. I had never done that in a church in my life until I got here. There was no way we could serve communion here. There's no way we can't serve communion here now. God does that. And that is grace. Totally unadulteratedly. 
God's job is judgment. God's business is putting things right. He loves getting the line straight, setting us straight. Once you're standing tall, we can look him straight in the eye. Well, there have been times in my life when I wanted God to mete out justice. I wanted him to judge the neighbor who supposedly is a Christian, who is the worst neighbor I've ever had in my life. I'm going, this guy's a leader in his church. What in the world is going on? And then I began to realize that I don't want judgment because I'm just like everybody else. I'm messed up. So what do I want? You remember the story of the woman caught, caught in adultery? She's guilty. Hands down guilty. There's only one person in that story or in that situation who could pass judgment, and that was Jesus. Everybody else could not cast the first stone because they were not perfect. They were not without sin. Jesus was without sin, and he gave her grace. He judged her and said, you're guilty, and I will pay the penalty. It's amazing when you think about it. There's a story that's been told about a man who was caught stealing a loaf of bread. This was many years ago. And he went before the judge. And the judge heard the facts of the situation. He found out this man had been looking for work and couldn't get work. This man tried everything he could the honest way, and his family was hungry and without food, and so he stole the loaf of bread to feed his family. And the judge says, the law is very clear. You must be punished. And so he fined the man $10, and then took $10 out of his pocket and handed it to him and said, I'm going to help you. I'll give you $10. As soon as the man took the $10, the judge says, and by the way, I'm going to rescind the fine. I'm going to forgive you the fine. And he literally gave the man $10. And then he turned to the courtroom and he asked the bailiff to fine everybody in the courtroom a dollar. And everybody put a dollar in the hat of the bailiff and they gave it to the man who had nothing. And he says, I find you because we live in a city where you cannot, that a man has to steal a loaf of bread. You see, he was the judge, and he was also the solution. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is our judge, and he pays the fine and sets us free just like that. That's what he does. He loves doing that in our lives. He loves coming alongside of us when we have screwed up our lives and he says, yes, you're a mess. I will not only forgive you, but I will fix it with my grace. Wow. But here's the problem. You gotta confess. You've got to admit that you're wrong. 
God just doesn't throw grace over everybody and say, you know, uh, we'll just look the other way as if it didn't happen. You know, you can keep going and we'll sweep it under the rug. In my younger days, I did a lot of marriage counseling. And couples who would come to me with a marriage that was a mess would identify a problem. And what I was smart enough to figure out what I had learned was that identified problem was the last item on the pile that had grown rather large. And the anger wasn't going to stop until we worked through the whole pile. And that's what we had to do. Our problem is we have a pile of sin in our lives and we're hiding it under the rug. That's the test that you're going to fail. You need to accept the fact that the whole pile belongs to Jesus. He will pour out his grace on you. But he won't pour out his grace on stuff that you don't give him. So quit lying to yourself and to God. It is this God, this God of grace. Remember the first Sunday I was here? I said to you, I said, God is love. We're saved by grace and not by works. And the third thing was, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you get those three things in clearly in your head, and they become foundational to the way you live as an individual and the way this community of faith lives as a community of faith in this neighborhood, you will have no trouble running to the God of grace. Because you know you'll trust him with anything. You can trust him with something that happened 30 years ago that somehow you thought would never come to light has come to light and now you're paying the consequences of it. You can trust them with something that you did yesterday that you hope nobody ever sees because he is the God of grace. So here's the takeaways that I want you to have. Run to God. He will never reject you. He will never turn you away. Don't ever forget that. God is our refuge because he knows all there is to know about you. Absolutely everything. And he still opens the door. And he opens his arms and says, I love you. Jesus protects the life of a sinner and makes him in an advance, and that makes him an advocate for the people who sin. He is your advocate. He stands beside God, and he fights for you. God is both judge and bondsman. His justice condemns us to eternity without him. But his son's sacrifices opens a new and living way to an exciting adventure filled with a relationship to the son and to his new kingdom. I read the story of a chaplain in the military during the Second World War. He was assigned to a group of men 
and he was going to go into battle with them. And early in the morning, they had a, a dress. The sun was just coming up. The dew was heavy everywhere. And this commander was explaining to the soldiers how important it was to creep up on the enemy, to move stealthily. And nobody realized it, but there were the veteran soldiers who were crawling through the grass on their hands and knees and surrounding this group in the wet and the dirt and the mud. And at the last moment, they rose up and pointed their weapons at all these soldiers. And the commander said to these new recruits, if you're going to defeat the enemy, there is only one way to do it, and that is on your knees. You must crawl to get there. If this church is going to defeat the enemy of Satan and win the souls of people, you have to crawl there on your hands and knees in prayer. You need to breathe out self and breathe in God. You need to breathe out all those selfish ideas that you have about what can and can't be done and breathe in the God who blesses the biggest mistakes we'll ever make. And his power is shown in our weakness and made perfect. I'm all done, but Gil and I just want to say something to you before we go. We've enjoyed our time here. It's been a real blessing for us. Uh, when I retired, I was so tired and broken, I didn't know whether I'd ever preach again. As a matter of fact, I didn't even want to. And so it was a revelation that I would even get the chance to do it again. And so thank you for inviting me to come and being part of this journey because I think God has had you on an amazing journey. And in three months, six months when I come back, I expect the Spirit to be here even more. Do not be afraid to do the tough thing. Please move forward with God. That's it. Thank you.